Welcome to Be The Best You. I'm your host, Luke Briggs. This is a podcast where we give you the best information on how to become your best self in your health, wealth, and relationships. So what's the craziest thing you've ever done? Chances are it didn't involve using your body as a science project the way today's guest Drew Manning did. From 2011 into 2012, Drew, a ripped personal trainer, intentionally gained and lost 75 pounds so he could better relate to his overweight clients. Kind of crazy, huh? But anyway, after his experiment, he went from a relative nobody to becoming a New York Times bestselling author, an eight-figure business owner, and a celebrity in the fitness industry. During and after his journey, he's been featured on media outlets like Dr. Oz, The View, The Tonight Show, and Good Morning America. Drew shares so many knowledge bombs about how to build success and how to lead with authenticity and vulnerability. In fact, a little over halfway into this interview, Drew gets vulnerable and shares how he's overcome some challenges in his relationships and personal life. You're going to learn so much about how to become better in not only your business and fitness, but also as a human being. Drew is such an amazing person and delivers so much value in this episode. I can't wait to share it with you. Okay, I'm here today with Drew Manning. He is a father, eight-figure business owner, international speaker, and he is most known for being a personal trainer who intentionally gained and lost 75 pounds of body fat over the course of a year in order to better relate to his clients. Drew wrote a New York Times bestseller called Fit to Fat to Fit, The Unexpected Lessons from Gaining and Losing 75 Pounds on Purpose, and was the creator of the TV show Fit to Fat to Fit on A&E. He's been featured on media outlets like Dr. Oz, Good Morning America, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, among many other networks. Drew has recently released another book called Complete Keto, A Guide to Transforming Your Body and Mind for Life, and has over a million social media followers on his various platforms. He also hosts a podcast called The Fit to Fat to Fit Experience. It's an honor for me to bring him on. Drew, welcome to the show. Luke, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, man. <clears throat> Absolutely. So you have so many amazing parts of your journey on how you've you know, overcome many challenges to build your lifestyle, mindset, and your eight-figure business and success and everything else. Uh, one thing you do really well, um, which is very rare among men, um, is, is just one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on here as well, is you lead with such authenticity and vulnerability. I think a lot of people... Um, think like that'll hurt their personal brand business or just the reputation in general but you know it's obviously worked out pretty well for you so why is it important to lead through authenticity and vulnerability yeah for me it's all about relatability and I feel like people out there that are following you if you're a leader or influencer or coach of some type they want to feel connected there, there has to be some form of relatability there and I feel like if you're always perfect you're always smiling you're always happy you're always ripped you're always shredded you have no weaknesses. It's hard to relate to that because your average person out there, you know, doesn't experience that, right? So what I found is, yes, it's scary. Yes, uh, there's these stories you tell yourself of like, oh, this is going to hurt my brand if I tell people about this. But honestly, it, it creates a culture of uh, relatability for the follower and the person that 
is the influencer because it just makes you more human at the end of the day. And yes, it's scary. Um, but honestly, authenticity is what builds a brand because at the end of the day, you're, you know, you've heard the saying, your vibe attracts your tribe. And that's so true. And so if you're fake and you wear a mask uh, on social media, but then you're a different in person, people will eventually find that out. Uh, but if you're authentic and true and real to your audience, I feel like they, they'll trust you more, which means they'll be more open to you know, consuming your content and eventually buying your products. And so for me, I know from firsthand, that's what it's done for my brand and everyone else I talk to in the industry, it's the same thing. Now, there, there is a difference between oversharing and being vulnerable though. There's, those are two different things. Um, if you're coming from a place of wanting to get all your dirty laundry out there in the open for attention and things like that, uh, people will be able to pick up on that. But if you're coming from a place of healing, like you've been through rock bottom and you've put in the work, the years uh, that it takes to heal yourself and you're coming from a place of healing in, with steps to help other people heal, that's where I feel like it can become powerful versus if you come from like a victim mentality of this is what happened to me, but it wasn't my fault or you're pointing fingers and you're not healed yet, that's more oversharing. And if you want to learn more about that, I recommend go checking out Brene Brown's work um, about the difference between those two things and read the book, Daring Greatly. Awesome. Great, great that you brought that up. I actually coincidentally, uh, after kind of listening to some of your stuff, just started checking out more of her stuff and it, it is really good on, on teaching us how to deal with those things. For sure, man. Awesome. I love what you just said that, you know, it does kind of position you as a leader and it's hard to lead without that. And a lot of us, like I said, think that it's going to hurt us, but in reality, obviously as, as you've proven, you know, it can really help and, and really kind of make you, um, better, more relatable. Um, and especially, you know, kind of leading us into the next part, like uh, as a, a ripped personal trainer, I know you talked a lot about like, it's, it was always easy for you growing up to, you know, be ripped and, and have muscle. And at one point you intentionally gained 75 pounds over six months to be able to better relate to your clients and then lost it all. And you've done things that most people like wouldn't even be willing to attempt. You know, before we get into your journey and your career, I just want to, you know, start from the beginning just to give people context. What were you like as a child uh, growing up in California in like middle school and high school? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I was pretty shy. I was really shy. Um, I didn't talk a lot, uh, to be totally honest with you. I was very, had very low self-confidence in my abilities, even though I excelled at sports. So the culture or my perception of the culture I grew up in was that I had to be perfect or as a failure. So whether it was the religion I grew up in or sports, um, <clears throat> you know, like if I missed a tackle, there was a punishment. If I, you know, if I messed up in practice and, and did something I wasn't supposed to or forgot to play, there was a punishment or I got yelled at. Same thing at home. Like if I <clears throat> did something bad or I sinned, there was a punishment that came along with that. So to protect myself, I would hide my weaknesses, right? Because I didn't want people to think I was imperfect or I had weaknesses. So I would just hide them from people because if I showed them, um, then I would, there would be some type of punishment involved with that. And as a kid from a very young age, you kind of develop that, that sense of, okay, how can I avoid <clears throat> a confrontation? How can I avoid conflict and punishment? Uh, well, it might just be better just to hide it and suppress those feelings and pretend like those weaknesses don't exist. And so this idea of perfectionism kind of took over my life. And 
I felt like I had to be perfect. Otherwise, I was a failure in all aspects of my life. And I grew up with that mentality. And so that's kind of a, the, the perception of the culture I grew up in, whether that was the culture. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with our perception, right? A lot of people um, have a different perception. Like I have 11 brothers and sisters. I'm sure their perception was different than mine. It might be similar in some ways, but um, <clears throat> I think it all comes down to our perception of our situation. And for me, that was my perception, which really molded me into who I was my whole life, which was very insecure, um, very unsure of myself. Uh, I could fake it on the outside. You know, I got really good at faking it on the outside. But on the inside, I was very unsure, very low self-esteem, low self-confidence. And um, it wasn't until later in life that I developed more confidence and a true confidence. And uh, but that came with um, some pretty uh, hard experiences, if you will. Mm. Yeah, I mean, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, again, it's hard to admit that, you know, we weren't perfect growing up. Like, obviously, sounds like you had a lot of, you know, a lot of challenges that you went through. And I, I can totally relate. I was extremely shy growing up as well. So, you know, I can totally relate to you on that aspect. And it can be, even though, you know, you're an athlete, it's still hard to sometimes connect and communicate with others. Um, so for you, like, moving from like high school into like adulthood, like how was that transition for you? And like kind of what happened next to you before you got to like fit to fat to fit? Yeah. So the one, a couple of the big things that were defining in my life were one is as a 19 year old kid, I went on a church mission to Brazil for two years. And so here I was a 19 year old kid going to a third world country, learning uh, the Portuguese language and, and mingling with the, the Brazilian people for two years. That was a defining moment in my life because it really forced me out of that being shy uh, shell that I grew up in because here I was, now I had to talk to strangers. I had to go up to them and uh, knock on their door and try and teach them lessons about uh, the, the religion I grew up in and trying to convert them, right? <clears throat> so that really forced me out of that being shy shell. And that's where I started to develop some, some real confidence within. Um, so that was a really cool experience that I had. And then when I came home, um, went to college, got a degree in business management, um, uh, got married as well, played football as well. Um, and those, those things were really good for me to help me grow up a little bit and mature myself. But I still struggle with that self-esteem, self-confidence on the inside. I just couldn't talk about it, even to my wife. I couldn't tell her about my weaknesses. And I definitely had weaknesses, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I had my weaknesses, and I didn't want her to know about them. So I would hide them. And um, that's just something I did, even though back in those days, I'm not so much anymore, but back in those days, I was really religious. I believed in it 100%. I'm like, this is the way to do it, but still struggling with that self-love. Um, and it definitely caused some issues later on down the road. But at the time, I was thinking, oh, yeah, this isn't that big of a deal. I'll just suppress these feelings, and uh, hopefully they'll just go away one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think that's, you know, again, I can totally relate to that. It's kind of how I was growing up as well as it's just like, you know, you don't want to show your weakness or show that you have any sort of insecurities because it's kind of looked down upon in, in male culture. Um, but yeah, I mean, thanks so much for sharing that journey. And, you know, again, it sounds like that trip to, um, trip to a, another country really changed your life and kind of changed your perspective. Um, so for you, like, you know, you got married, you know, started having kids, 
And then you got this idea to you know, do this thing that not many, if any other people would be willing to do. And that's, you know, intentionally gain all this weight and then lose it. So you're know, kind of setting me up here. So in 2011, you're a personal trainer, you know, you're struggling to relate to your overweight clients because you've been in shape your whole life. And then I've heard you say you had like this light bulb moment where you decided you were going to intentionally gain weight and lose it so you could better relate to their struggles. So, you know, kind of walk me through this. Like, how did you come up with this idea? And then take me through the journey of what it was like to gain weight and then lose it back. Yeah, good question. So it all stemmed from, uh, I had a few clients at the time as a personal trainer. And obviously I could tell there's a disconnect because in my mind it seems so easy, right? You know, here's your meal plans, here's your workouts, put down the junk food, go to the gym. It's not that hard and stay consistent with it. Um, but then my clients would struggle with it. And one of my clients was my ex-brother-in-law at the time. And, you know, we had a hard time progressing with him because, you know, here I was, I would see him at family functions, eating the food he wasn't supposed to be eating. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you know, like I can see you eating that food. Like we're here at this family function. Like you're not supposed to be eating that food. And so anyways, it was, um, it was a struggle, but he was the one who really opened my eyes. Uh, Cause he told me, you know, you don't understand what it's like to be overweight. And that's where that light bulb moment kind of happened. I'm like, Oh, maybe there's something I need to do as a personal trainer. And for whatever reason, the idea of getting fat on purpose, I know it sounds crazy and ridiculous. It made sense in my mind. And it was one of those moments where I felt like I was being called to do it. I was like, man, I think I'm really going to do this. And I, I, I checked with my wife at the time, my friends, my family, and they're like, yeah, you should totally do it. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be scary. We'll see what happens. I had no marketing strategy. I had no media connections. You know, me and my wife at the time, we just started a YouTube channel, a Facebook page, a website. Um, and I just launched it. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I just put it out there uh, for people to follow along and kind of see what was happening. And, um, you know, the idea in a nutshell was six months, no exercise. I could eat whatever I wanted to. But what I wanted to do instead of supersize me, like Morgan Spurlock did, I don't want to focus on fast food every single day because I think everyone knows fast food is, is unhealthy for you. I wanted to focus on everyday American foods that we grew up with in the 70s and 80s that is sometimes marketed to us as health food. Um, you know, uh, things like sugary cereals, white bread, white pasta, juices, granola bars, chips, cookies, crackers, um, you know, top ramen, hot pockets, SpaghettiOs. Uh, mac and cheese, all these things that we have here in America that are cheap, right? They're super cheap. They're cheaper than real food. They're convenient, right? That's super convenient just to warm it up in the microwave, put make a bowl of cereal, and they taste freaking good. I mean, that's why it's, they're so addictive is they are um, designed to become addictive because they taste really good. And so that's what I ate for six months. Put on 75 pounds of pure fat. It was the hardest thing I've ever done because I freaked out. I wanted, I, I identified it as my body. You know, I was drew the fit guy, you know, my whole life. And now here I was overweight, even being 20 pounds overweight, I was super self-conscious. I would uh, want to go up to strangers that I didn't even know and explain to them, Hey guys, I'm not really overweight. This is just an experiment. Like this isn't me. This is just the, you know, this is just an experiment. Go to this website. It'll explain everything. But I'm normally this guy, the fit guy. Um, so it really um, 
you know, it became more uh, mental and emotional than I imagined it would be. And it really opened my eyes to just how much of transformation is mental and emotional. So it was very humbling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's just incredible. And, and there's so many things that we can kind of kind of pull apart from this. So the first thing that, you know, I don't think a lot of people talk about it. And I know you've been interviewed like a million times is like, you know, you were very like, you know, shy and kind of didn't talk to a lot of people growing up. And then all of a sudden, like, you're just kind of like this average, you know, person, personal trainer, and you just decide, like, I'm just going to get way out of my comfort zone and like put this out everywhere. Like all of a sudden you're going on all these shows and like in that moment, I think so many people out there are like so hesitant to like put themselves out there in front of people, especially a lot of people who maybe are a little bit more introverted or shy. Like how did you bring yourself to actually like put yourself out there in this situation? Yeah, that was really hard for me. Um, like I said, when that light bulb went off my head about like really doing this journey, um, it was uh, it was like one of those moments where, like I said, I was I felt I was being called to do it. Um, and I started out small, like I, like I just you know started my own YouTube channel, my own Facebook page and website, all by myself. Like I didn't have like like I said a marketing team to help me with this. I didn't have a budget, you know. Really, I mean, it cost me a couple hundred bucks to start a website. It was free to start a YouTube channel. I think I, I had my friend film my first video, and I just kind of ran with it. To be honest with you, not expecting anything to happen, and so, um, you know, it, it was scary for sure. But it wasn't. It, it didn't become, oh, what's the word, relevant or big until I got on Jay Leno. <laughs> so like. I started this and it was family and friends and then their friends, they were sharing on Facebook and telling their friends about it. And it wasn't until I put out like a free press release, right? Um, just seeing what would happen. And before you know it, one of the producers from the tonight show with Jay Leno reached out to me and said, Hey, we want to have you on our show. I'm like, what? This is crazy. Like, yeah. I was like, Oh man, this, oh, this is getting real. And so, and then, then from there, yahoo.com picked it up which when that happened it crashed my website every tv show called um dr oz good morning america today's show review like all these tv shows wanted me on and i was like oh man this is getting real like i had no idea this was gonna happen and um that's where i was like oh man that's where it got a little bit scary because i was like now the whole world is watching right and so um <clears throat> but from there i was already in it and I had to, I had to finish it. So, you know, I, I knew going into this, I had to have a, a, a big important why, like what was my why? Why was I doing this? Was it to get on the TV shows? Was it to become famous? No, not because I didn't have those connections. I didn't know those can happen. I wanted to make a difference by doing something a little bit crazy that would catch people's attention, but hopefully inspire them to live a healthy lifestyle. And so for me, my why kept me going through those times where I'm like, man, what if I can't lose the weight? <laughs> like, what if I'm stuck like this? Um, and that really kept me going in, during times where I had doubts or I, I didn't really know if I could pull it off. Got it. So, I mean, really an incredible journey. Like you said, all of a sudden you're getting all these people reaching out to you and all these connections. And, and for you, it, it really stemmed from like knowing and staying true to your why. And, and I think that is a really important point to bring up because when it's like bigger than you, like, you know, obviously you were on a mission to like show and, and share with people that, you know, you are relating to them and you are on this journey with them. And I think that was 
just so cool um, to do it. And a good thing to point out about how it makes it easier to kind of handle all that pressure that was put on you. So, you know, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, once you got there, like, you know, you said you were kind of eating like some standard American foods, you got up that 75 pounds, like, what was like your mindset at that point? Take us through like, how specifically did you end up losing the weight? Yeah, so um, I had to do it cold turkey, right? Because I had a six month time frame to lose 75 pounds. And I was like, all right, you know, well, I went one day, I mean, I would probably eat around 5,000 or 6,000 calories a day, right? Of all these processed foods. And then the next day, it was like, all right, day one, 2,000 calories spread out over five meals. Um, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to just go cold turkey. And so I went cold turkey to eating real whole food. You know, I would have like a spinach shake for breakfast, which was spinach, peanut butter, uh, vanilla whey protein. I think half a banana and some ice and some unsweetened almond milk. And that was like my breakfast every day for six months. And then from there, I would have a healthy snack of a protein and vegetable. Uh, lunch was similar, protein and vegetable. Um, and then I would pretty much have that for the first uh, for the first couple months. But I'll be totally honest with you, the first two weeks of going cold turkey back to eating healthy sucked really bad. Um, it was the worst two weeks I've ever experienced because my body was going through these withdrawal symptoms that I never experienced before. Uh, getting off of that processed food really caused my body to fight back and want the high that it had received from that food for the past six months. And I didn't realize how powerful that would be. And that, but that's where um, it clicked for me. This is what my clients been telling me when I give them a meal plan. Let's say they were super unhealthy for most of their life. I give them a meal plan to follow. I give them a workout to follow. And they would struggle. And before, I'm like, why is it so hard? You guys just stop eating the junk food. Like, just put down the soda. And then here I was struggling uh, because my body was going through withdrawal symptoms. I, was he I had headaches. I was grumpy. I was moody. I was lethargic. The food didn't taste nearly as good. Uh, I was starving all the time. I had low energy. And here I was eating all these like vegetables and healthy food. And I was like, wow, the, the uh, emotional connection to food and, then, and even the, uh, the physiological connection to food is way more powerful than I thought. I had no idea my body would crave the food so deep uh, to where it really did affect me. Now, I didn't, I didn't cheat. But I had empathy for those that struggled with food addiction um, because your body fights back against you. Like it's, it's like getting off of a drug. And so those first two weeks were really eye-opening for me and taught me a lot um, and really helped me develop empathy for people that struggle with food addiction because I do believe it's real. Before, I used to think it's just a lack of willpower, um, you know, um, but – it, it was a really powerful experience for me to have. After two weeks, things started to become easier, uh, more manageable. It, your body does adjust and adapt. But at first, man, your body is like, hey, where's my soda? Where's my cereal? Like, I want the quick, easy food. And um, even though you're feeding it real food, it takes time to adjust. So anyways, um, <clears throat> the first month, I didn't do any exercise, to be totally honest with you. All I did was stretch um, every day. And then I would uh, focus on 2,000 calories a day, spread out over five meals, uh, because I wanted to show people the, the, uh, the power of nutrition. It's not so much about exercising, it's about changing your diet and staying consistent with that. And so I, I, I skipped exercise for the first month, and then the next uh, five months, I did include exercise. And the way I started was very strategic. Um, 
you know, like I said, the first month was just stretching and prepping my body for movement again. And then month one of exercise included five days a week of exercise. Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays were cardio days, which were more high intensity interval training. Monday, Wednesday, Friday were lifting days. And those were mostly consisted of supersets. So little breaks, right? So you're, you get the benefits of cardio with the elevated heart rate. You're breathing heavy. You're sweating but you're building muscle at the same time. And so that was kind of my structure. Saturday and Sunday were my off days, uh, active recovery days. Um, and then it'd be, I'd be right back on it Monday through Friday. And I stayed consistent with that for the next five months. Um, and then from there, you know, I stuck with my six meals a day uh, throughout the rest of the, the journey. And um, that's what, how I was able to lose the weight. Yeah, amazing stuff. And uh, I know you've talked all through this about how so much of it was just mental. And um, like you said, when you used to talk to your clients, it was just like, you know, come on, you know, you just need more willpower. Why can't you just do this? But it really seemed like you now fully understood. And, you know, even though obviously, you know, you hadn't been there as long as some of them, like you still were able to better relate to a lot of them. So having gone through all that, like, what is like, how do you use like what you've gone through like when you're talking to a client or when you're talking to someone who wants to do a similar thing like who has been stuck whether it's in you know fitness or even another area of their life for that long and what types of lessons did you learn that you have relayed to others about what steps you need to take to make a transformation when you're in that kind of dark tough place yeah that's a really good question so the old me before fit 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 uh, would only focus on the physical side of transformation. So changing up your macros, changing up your calories, changing up your diet, possibly maybe switching up your workouts um, or, or adding in some supplements. All that stuff is important for sure. But that for me, that's all I could relate to before. I didn't understand the mental and emotional side of that. I would just be like, hey, just do it. Like follow this plan and just willpower your way through it. Now having been through this and coming from a place of empathy first, um, there's a quote I live by and it says, no one cares how much, you know, until they know how much you care. So as a trainer, as a coach, as a leader, you can have all the knowledge in the world and that does help you to a certain extent. But if you don't know how to relate to your clients, you can't have empathy. I feel like no one's going to really care how much, you know, or be able to relate to you until they feel like you care about them first and foremost. And so for me, that's really important, uh, come from a place of empathy first and trying to understand what's really holding people back. And so honestly, you know, if I work with someone, I don't work with a lot of one-on-one -on -one clients, just a few, I'll just sit and listen to their stories, to their perceptions of their situation and really try and dig deep to find out, okay, what is it really that's holding you back? And to be totally honest with you, it's not a lack of knowledge of how to do keto or how not to do keto or calories and macros and workouts. Most people, have a basic understanding of that or at least they can you know find it on google um but it's it's someone just willing to sit with them and listen to understand this instead of listening to respond does that make sense so a lot of people with a lot of knowledge sometimes will listen to someone and they're thinking in their head okay this is how i'm going to respond uh to the situation instead of trying to truly understand where they're coming from and when you truly understand where they're coming from you what you find is that a lot of uh, issues people have with physical transformation stems from emotional trauma that is has been programmed into this person since they were a young kid, right? So maybe some, they were teased as a kid, or maybe their mom or dad told them, you know, they looked they looked weird because they were overweight, or 
they started to become self-conscious of their body at some point. And so we, they've kind of created these uh, programs in their mind to self-preserve them or preserve themselves and protect themselves from that trauma. And sometimes that manifests itself in a physical form of, of overeating or food becomes their comfort, um, which sounds weird, but you know, to be totally honest with you, we all distract ourselves, whether it's with food or whether it's with exercise or whether it's with drugs or sex or alcohol, whatever it is, there's plenty of vices out there. It's just some people gravitate towards a different substance and, and it's different for each person. But if you can help that person overcome their emotional challenges or help them become aware of them, that's the first step is becoming self-aware. How do you develop self-awareness? It, ha it has to do with just being still and being present in the moment. And so that's why I'm a big proponent of meditation. Meditation is one of those tools that people can use to build self-awareness because what it will do is, is it'll help you become more of the observer of your thoughts versus becoming your thoughts. So in a situation, let's say you're really stressed out, your kids are driving you crazy, your work, your, your stress out work finances or your spouse is, is, you know, you guys are arguing. So what happens, what happens in those situations, we become reactionary, we react. We attach ourselves to our thoughts, to our emotions without even thinking about it, right? Uh, so sometimes in those high stress moments, we'll just gravitate towards food or alcohol and just stuff our face. And before you know it, you're like, oh man, why did I do that? So what meditation does is it helps you become the observer of your thoughts. So you're kind of observing those thoughts as they're happening and just being aware of them. Like, hey, this person said this to me, it's triggering these emotions of anger or um, self-consciousness. And it stemmed from this person saying this, okay, what, what, what am I feeling right now? What am I thinking? Okay, these are the thoughts that are popping up. And what you do is you kind of, um, instead of attaching yourselves to those thoughts, you can learn to um, thoughtfully respond in those situations instead of just react. You know, does, does that make sense? And so from there, that's how you build the self-awareness. So in those moments where you normally would just react and make a decision without even thinking about it, now you're becoming aware and saying, okay, now I have a choice. I see what's happening in front of me. I see these thoughts coming from here and there. These emotions are coming up, but now I get to choose how I react to that situation and I don't have to attach myself to those thoughts. And that's really where transformation, real transformation starts to happen is building that self-awareness and people becoming more aware of, okay, what are the triggers that are happening in my world? And instead of changing those situations, you've changed your reaction to those situations. First, you talked about having self-awareness being so important toward actually making a change, because unless you're aware of your patterns and behaviors, it's really hard to change. And then another thing you really talked about is being relatable. Uh, I've heard this quote many times, but you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that's so true. You know, someone who's coached people myself, I can tell you without question, it's about more than just the strategy. It's about the mental side, the emotional side. And when you can really connect with clients or people on that deep of a level, it can definitely, as you've proven, really help you impact them. So another topic I wanted to bring up, and I want to be respectful of your time here, so we'll move on to the next thing I want to talk about, which is, Something that not many people are willing to talk about and share, but I think it's super important because it gives so many other people permission to be more authentic and vulnerable. You know, you're very open with the challenges that you've had in the past. I think we've all had challenges, 
You had a podcast episode at one point titled Life After Porn, Affairs, and Lies. I think so many people out there have struggled with addictions and feeling guilty and shameful of things they've done in the past, and you've done a lot of personal work to help you overcome these things. So talk about your journey of how you've overcome these things in your life. Yeah, that's a good question. And if anyone is interested, I would highly recommend going to listen to podcast episode 100 of, of mine where it, I, I go full in depth of all the details. Um, but for you know the sake of time here, I'm going to summarize my journey, the lessons that I learned from hitting rock bottom. And so I've kind of touched on them briefly. A lot of it has to do with my perception of how I was raised, <clears throat> which was this culture of, of having to be perfect all the time and I was never good enough right because I was never perfect right I had weaknesses and so in the religion I grew up in they they preached that you know um, things like pornography and masturbation were really sinful it was a very evil sin so I was like okay well I, I should probably stay away from that but then growing up as a teenage kid in the 90s you're exposed to pornography all the time your friends are looking at it like oh watch this and of course for me my perception was like oh it's bad but it's so interesting like you know and so I didn't have an outlet I didn't have like a dad I could go talk to my dad I'm struggling with this or a friend or a brother that could be like hey what do you do like I don't know what to do I would just kind of do it right consume pornography but then pretend it didn't happen or hide it from people I would just pretend like it was it didn't exist and I think a lot of men struggle with being vulnerable because we see vulnerability as weakness our culture teaches us like hey men don't cry men don't show emotions um, if you have weaknesses, just suppress them. Don't talk about them because that makes people feel uncomfortable. So that was my um, defense mechanism. I was like, all right, I'll just suppress it. And so I learned to lie from a very young age about my weaknesses. And that just continued year after year after year. And um, it eventually carried over into my marriage where I would hide my pornography addiction uh, to my wife. And um, thinking like, oh, okay, well, maybe one day this will work itself out. It'll just go away. It never did. And eventually it led to more and more problems. And so here's the problem that I had is I, it all comes down to viewing yourself as a failure. When you hide addiction, when you uh, are so consumed with guilt and shame, what happens is you see yourself as a failure. Even though I was great at sports, I had good grades, I had a good job, I had a good marriage on the outside, I looked good on the outside, on the inside, I saw myself as a failure still because I was lying. I had weaknesses that I couldn't tell anyone about. And when you see yourself as a failure, you tend to self-sabotage sometimes. When things are going bad, you tend to say, well, I'm already a failure. I'm going to do this failure-like thing because you know, I see myself, I believe I'm a failure. And so what I mean by that is, for me, what that looked like was the opportunity to cheat on my wife came up uh, on a business trip one time and never in a million years would I have ever imagined me being able to do something like that. Um, but uh, like I said, it's then from my perception of myself as a failure. And so what happened was I eventually did have an affair on this business trip. And my reaction to that was, well, I got to hide it for the greater good of our marriage. I have to hide it from her because if she finds out, she'll hate me, we'll get divorced, my family will find out, her family will find out, my life will be over, and it's better for us just to pretend like we're happy and, and I, could just, I could just pretend, I've done that my whole life. So I did, I hid it from her. For almost a year, 
until she found out about it through an email. It's all, you can go to episode 100, like I said, to learn more about the details. But in a nutshell, in that moment was my rock bottom. Being found out, I had nowhere else to go, nowhere else to hide, no other lies to tell. Like I had told lies for so long, everything came crashing down. And in that moment, um, I was pretty hopeless. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. This was post fit to fit, by the way. This was, you know, uh, after I had done fit to fit, uh, or sorry, she, she had found out right before fit to fit. So what, what that means is we had to go through this journey of being on TV shows, pretending like we're this happily married couple, when in reality, we were both hurting really bad inside. She was so heartbroken and devastated and betrayed, and, and I was disgusted with myself. I hated myself for what had happened, and I wanted to prove to her that I could change. I wanted to show her that I could change, and so we started going to therapy. Uh, we, we went to this life coach who totally turned everything around for me. Um, she does something called The Work by Byron Katie, and she helps me see myself from a different perspective. She was the first person that taught me to learn how to love myself and that I was lovable despite my past. Um, and that was, that was a really powerful moment for me because in that moment when I learned how to love myself, it was like, you know, a hundred pounds was lifted off my, my back and I could finally breathe again. And I saw some hope at the end of the tunnel because for me, I didn't know if our marriage was going to work out, but coming from a place of self-love versus self-hate felt so much better. And I saw a light at the end of the tunnel. And for me, my why was, okay, I don't know if my marriage is going to work out, but I have two little girls and I love being a dad and I take being a dad very seriously. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes to become the best version of myself for my daughters. And so for me, I was like, I have to fix this. I have to learn how to get out of this. And and so for me, that's where I started reading books by Brene Brown. Um, and uh, uh, for example, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, um, and then going through this work with my life coach, things started to become so much better for myself. I was coming from a place of self-love versus self-hate. And, um, and then from there, things started to turn around for me for the better because my perception of myself started to change and my perception of other people started to change and my situation started to change. And um, even though things didn't work out between me and my, my ex-wife, we're still friends today because of the healing process that I went through. Because when you live in a place of guilt and shame and you don't own your story, shame has control over you. Shame controls you so much when you keep it quiet and you don't talk to anyone about it. But now here I was finally, you know, 34, 35 years of my, of my life, finally opening up to people. It was super scary, but um, it shame started to have less and less power over me. And that self-hate started to go away and the self-love started to replace it. And I, I knew that now that I was coming from a place of self-love and I own my story and I embrace vulnerability as a strength, I showed up as the authentic version of myself, which carried over into all aspects of my life, of other relationships, my business, because people became more trusting of me like I wasn't hiding anything from them and people could relate to my story and then I became public with what I went through after I went through that healing process and released that episode 100 and I feel like that's where that trust comes in to this guy like th this person <clears throat> like I can relate to him so much because after that episode came out 
hundreds of people reached out to me saying, thank you. I'm going through this as well. This gave me courage to open up as well and, and to look into Brene Brown's work and, and um, embrace vulnerability as a strength. And so for me, I knew I was doing good in the world. I was paying it forward by giving people permission, like you said, to, uh, for them to embrace vulnerability as a strength. Wow. You know, thanks so much for sharing. Uh, there are so many lessons in that about how you went from a place of kind of hating yourself at one point and seeing yourself as a failure. You didn't feel like you liked the decisions you're making in your life, but you brought up so many good points. And what you did there was you got help. I think as a man, it's very hard, and I can relate to this too, to ask for help from someone and do that healing work. We just think we need to just power past it, power past it. So again, thanks so much for sharing that. I would love to elaborate, but I know we're running low on time here, but I think so many people will get so much value from that in terms of being able to make the changes in their lives as well. Thanks, man. And like I said, if you want to go listen to episode 100 of my podcast, you can listen to all of it and better understand it. And um, yeah, feel free to reach out to me on social media. I'd love to help. And that's the Fit to Fat to Fit Experience podcast, correct? Correct. Got it. I have two more quick questions for you finishing up here. First of all, if people want to connect with you and find out more about you, where would they find you? All my brand is branded fit, number two, fat, number two, fit. And that's my website, all my social media handles, uh, my first book. You'll be able to find everything through that. Awesome. Well, anyone listening, go over and connect with Drew. He's got a lot of really powerful information on both nutrition and just life in general, how to overcome challenges, as you just heard him talk about. You can definitely find out more about him at those places. And last question for you, Drew. I think you've lived a life of many challenges and have overcome them. And you have a lot more in life still to go. But when it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? That's a good question, man. Um, You know, um, for me, how do I want to be remembered? For me, it's about being remembered by those who are important to me. So first and foremost, my daughters, my family, my friends, because a hundred years from now, 200 years from now, you know, I don't know if I'll even be remembered, (laughs) you know, to be totally honest with you, like in the grand scheme of things, you know, over thousands of years, very little gets passed on to each generation. But for me, what's important for me to be remembered to my, my daughters, my family, my friends is that I, um, I did my best to love others and I did my best to love myself and set an example for people to own their story and that you can change that there, there is hope in this world that if you feel stuck, if you feel like you're a failure and your perception of your situation, your world you're in, that will never change. I promise you that there is hope and that, you have the power to change your perception, which if you can shift your perception, you can change your story, which will change your whole life. And so my hope is that I'll be remembered in giving other people hope that things can and will get better for you. And so for me, that's how I want to be remembered by my family and my close friends. As far as history goes, I'll probably just, I don't know, maybe I'll be remembered as the fit to fit guy. 
<laughs> well, that's great. And, and like you said, whether someone remembers you 200 years from now or not, you know you've given it your all and have inspired so many people. So that's, that's really great. And again, thanks so much for sharing your journey of overcoming your struggles to rising to the top and continuing to get better every single day. Really appreciate you coming on today, Drew. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Really appreciate it, man.